Please welcome. Please welcome. Welcome. This is another episode of the Defenders of Business Value podcast, a podcast where we talk about what makes a business valuable, learn the tips and tactics to increase your company's value that only veteran dealmakers know. And now here's your host, Ed Misogland. Welcome to another uh, episode of Defenders of Business Value. I'm your host, Ed Misogland. And this week, we're talking to Adam Hooksima, and he is the president and founder of Projection Hub. And you're probably sitting there going, I wonder what, why this guy? Well, there's, I mean, I've known this guy since he's, he was in banking, you know, and, and he, he ran a, uh, a micro loan practice up uh north of where where i'm where i'm located and you know he he has seen so many different types of businesses and and he launched this projection hub and i've been seeing more and more of it and projection hub is just what the way it sounds they they have a service that helps buyers and sellers and professional advisors like me um determine Forecast, forecast performance, whichever terminology you want to use. And so I wanted to talk to him a little bit about what makes a great for, forecast. You know, how do you, how do you do that? What, um, and, and, and why? And we, one of the most important things had to do with working capital. You know, the working capital is a huge, huge part of any acquisition. And, and, you know, you don't want to botch that one up. So, we had uh it was great to catch up with him and and he truly has a, a wonderful uh service that he's offering and uh i'm certain you're going to learn a lot uh, on this on this episode so I, i'm certain you'll enjoy my conversation with adam hooksima from projection hub adam welcome to the show it's great to have you here thanks ed glad to be here well, before you came on, I, I always do my inter, my uh, introductions uh, of you and 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 the work you do, but I never uh, and I say this every time I don't do it justice. So, can you talk a little bit about you know where you came from? Because I've known you for a long time, and and now you've got Projection Hub. So I'm just curious to you know give us the the overview of of Adam. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I I studied accounting um, in undergrad and did uh, audit internship and tax internship and pretty clearly realized I did not want to be an accountant. <laughs> and so well, uh, ended up right. wanting to be uh, more entrepreneurial. So I I uh, got a job at a business incubator in Anderson called the Flagship Enterprise Center out of, out of uh, undergrad. And they hired me to run this microloan program that they were just starting. Um, and so I, I became the executive director of uh, SBA micro lender called Bankable, um, and was in that role for about a decade. Um, in 2012, uh, I kind of started this this side business, um, Projection Hub. And really, it's been that long. It's been that long, yeah. So I was uh, initially, um, you know, I was I was trying to help our clients, our, our Bankable clients, with we were yeah. asking them for no. projections and. No, no, I re I remember that how much work you were putting into those into those people. I just can't. I, I'm embarrassed that it's been that long. Um, keep going. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, I. So we we uh, initially, you know, I was working on my personal taxes using TurboTax, and I thought there's got to be like a TurboTax like solution for projections. And so uh -huh. my my brother was a 
uh, going to be studying software engineering. And, um, so I asked him, Hey, you want to, you want to build this tool for me? Uh, let's, let's try to build it together. So that's kind of how the business started. And, um, yeah. we wanted to be, a uh, a monthly recurring revenue type of, you know, tech <laughs> startup because of course, right. That's what we all want. So I fought that fight for a long time, probably about seven years and, and was still had the day job. And, yeah. and then, um, eventually kind of took, I'm a slow learner. So eventually kind of realized, you know, uh, people don't want to pay for projections monthly. <laughs> number one and number two, uh, Excel is still pretty good. <laughs> so yeah. we, we kind of pivoted the business to, uh, today we primarily sell Excel spreadsheet templates for about a hundred different industries. Okay. And then we've got a CPA on staff. We do custom financial modeling and, um, yeah, so that's, that's fast forwarding to today. Rock on. Well, well, I owe you an apology. Uh, and you know, I have always been. I have always advised our sell side clients that, you know what, you do not want to put earnings claims, future earnings claims in our sims. And, and I, and it seems as though that, and that may have been the case, you know, years ago, but it seems as though, you know, that's almost expected now. Like here, here's, you know, what we think this thing's going to do. And if you have any, any confidence in your business whatsoever, you should be able to put together some sort of a limited forecast that you know, okay, I, that you can stand behind. So I I do apologize. I uh, <laughs> I, I I I have uh, I have not been the the best um, advocate for for that. But but like I said, times are changing. Nope. So well, I appreciate the forgiveness. <laughs> so. So let's talk about projections. I, I, there's, you know, what's the difference between a forecast projection and pro forma? And, and I guess, you know, from both, from both sides of the table, I mean, you know, I think listeners know inherently what it means, but I guess from a, from an expert doing it, what does it mean? Yeah. I mean, and, and I think what we, primarily end up doing in terms of that acquisition space, we are usually working with the buyer side. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes it's, they've been provided a set of financials and they're working, they're trying to get financing. Right. And so um, they are, they're taking the existing financials, getting it into a, a mm -hmm. template format. And then our, you know, our acquisition template, for example, helps you kind of say, okay, what's going to change. Um, here's the last few years we're gonna mm -hmm. we're gonna use those as our baseline now okay buyer what are you gonna what are you gonna do better <laughs> you know and why sure what what expenses are you gonna get rid of or how are you gonna increase revenue and 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 model that out um and then ultimately i think that maybe the big thing is just making sure then based on those assumptions that you can cash flow the if you're getting yeah. a loan for the acquisition that's what we're usually working on is like can you can you cash flow this loan that you're trying to trying to get? So do you so then do you dive into returns like cash on cash returns, uh, you know, your 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 normal, you know, um 
now let's just say your hold period seven years you know what what is your your future exit total return on investment i mean do you do you dive that deep or is it or is it more peripheral that yeah you know, i here here's here's your leverage here's what you got to make here's the existing components of the business and then let's see if we can build something out that you know this is the most you can afford given given these the the, the constraints on the on the criteria yeah. 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 So I would say most of what we're asked to do on the acquisition side, I think it really, again, tends to be for the lender and it's like, yeah. uh, okay. and, and not so much about what are the returns going to look like. Now I would say we do real estate financial modeling and that often is like, oh. okay, we've mm -hmm. got, you know, we're going to buy this building or we're going to build, we're a developer. We're going to build this building. They yeah. want to know what what do those returns look like after a seven year hold period or whatever that might sure. be. Um, so that's where I more often get asked to do that kind of modeling. Sure. Um, but well, you know, it, and at the same time, I mean, buyers aren't, you know, a, a lot of, I don't want to say unsophisticated because that's not what I mean. I, I think generally a lot of the buyers are more, you know, can I, can this business pay me and can it, service my debt and then way down on the list is you know you know can it get a return on my investment so i, yeah. I i'm i'm with you that uh let, let's let's focus on 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 the big on the big rocks before we start working on uh on all the 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 minutia and, and the returns although you know as i as i see it seems as though more and more buyers are becoming more sophisticated and 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 are you know layering on you know here's the returns especially if they have you know a sponsor you know for mm -hmm. down payments and 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 as we move into you know it it's like I said it just seems as though that the the buyer pool is just improving as far as their analytics for for lack of a better word that that they're making better decisions and they're they're using more tools like yours you know to come alongside them or support their their position with with sellers and talking yeah. to people like me yeah it's it's a good point i think it's probably something we should add we have a in our real estate model we have this tab that's like the investor distribution yeah. and what the yeah. you know it would make a lot of sense to add that to our acquisition template so that you can see that too. We, you know, certainly doable. Well, there was a, uh, there's a fellow by the name of, uh, Mike Adlikari out of, um, out of Chicago. And he had, I, I, I know you're an Excel junkie and I am too. You're, do you remember uh solver? Do you, do you ever, have you ever heard mm. of the term solver? I've, I've heard of that, but. Okay. So, so long story short, you can put a Monte Carlo simulations. So mm. you can put in different criteria and it will churn every you know all of the all of these attributes or all of these all this data you know if you say i want to maximize return it's going to build you a deal that mm. it it that it looks like you know if i want a 45% return on my investment and I have a seven year hold, what's it, what do I, how much can I pay or how much should I pay in order to make it work? Mm. Um, and the, and I love that program The the, I, I got away from it when I went to Mac mm. <laughs> to eat, they don't support Mac and, yeah. and I'm not willing to, 
to do that, but <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a real interesting deal making software. If you get a chance or if you want the introduction, let me know. He's a yeah, super, right super good, super good guy. Um, yeah. Mike Adlicari. Um, I wanted to like from a pre-sale standpoint, I want to talk about, you know, what, when you're doing projections, if I'm a seller, what are, what am I putting in there? I mean, am I consolidating my income statement, um, you know, to, you know, just, a, you know, grouping them and, and forecast, you know, grouping the, the, the expense, you know, the expenses, or do I have all 40 of my operating expenses and forecast accordingly? You know, what is, you know, A, what, what are you including in your forecast? And B, what's the best presentation? Yeah, that's a good question. So the way our our acquisition template, for example, works is it would allow you to put it, you could put in all 40 of those, uh, you know, individual expenses, but then there's a box next to it that's going to ask you from a drop down to categorize it. And you can, I think we oh, okay. give you like maybe mm -hmm. 15 expense categories. So that that way you got to get those 40 into into 15 yeah. overarching categories. So the presentation of the financial statements or the projected financial statements is not 40 yeah. rows long. <laughs> you know, it's a little cleaner. I, um, I get so that's it. what we typically do. So but from a presentation standpoint, the 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 fewer the fewer the better. And and again, I I I I know enough about projection hub to to make me dangerous. Um, one of the, but one of the things that I always, I always cringe on and, and I, and it's not necessarily a reflection of you. It's just the tuition I paid. So there years ago, there was a, for a business valuation, there was a, a program and I was, um, I was a, uh, I was on the development team. And so we were, I was a beta tester and I used it for a, um, for some ex expert witness work. And, <laughs> and so this attorney goes up to me and he goes, just tell me where you got that number. And he's pointing down. He's like, just tell me what this number right here. And, and I couldn't, I, and he gave me time and I still couldn't, I still couldn't find it. And I went back and I mean, it was a, it was a, a flaw in the program. All right. And so where I'm going with that is like, can you override your your projection hub templates or are they locked down? Yeah, so you can uh we we have them unlocked and we do we hide tab like we we have a no. calculation tab that's like <laughs> this is one you probably shouldn't mess with but um yeah, it, but it is uh yeah, it's fully editable so if you want to get fancy with Geeky. it and <laughs> you can get in there and change everything but yeah I, maybe at your own at your own risk <laughs> your own peril <laughs> right right yeah. well like i said i i i have i have to eat but each time i you know each time like as a practitioner you know it's it's kind of like you know I, if something's going wrong or something doesn't look right i know where to look mm. you know what i mean yeah it's like yeah, and I I speak in spreadsheet, so I I'm 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 big into that. But I but I do know that 
that this projection stuff is so important. And that's where my next question is. And that has more to do with, with working capital. I'm really interested to hear how you're forecasting working capital. Cause I, uh, you know, every, every deal, two checks, first one's to buy it. Second one's to, to, to fund the working capital. So anyway, you know, to get a better working capital number is a real big thing for, for buyers and sellers. So, so tell me a, a little bit about how you're doing that. Yeah. I mean, so I guess, I don't know if it's the most sophisticated approach or, or, or not, but uh, basically we have an assumption that allows you to say on, you know, on average, what's your day sales outstanding or how, how long does it take you to collect receivables? Mm-hmm. So, you're you're gonna make an assumption on that if you say you know thirty days and then you know anything you sell month one you're not gonna see that cash until month two in the in the projection right um and then same thing on the accounts payable side we let you put in a number of days and and so it's really okay. kind of the the okay. the difference between those two and it makes a huge it makes a huge right. difference um yeah, I mean, it really does. I I think uh, we've seen that recently where it's like, why do I need so much more cash? And it's like, well, you put in that it was going to take you 30 days <laughs> to get <Yeah>. paid. <laughs> yeah. No, I, well, I, I was at a, um, I was at a holiday party and we're recording this in the middle of December, but I was at a holiday party and, and one of the, one of the people, um, cause we were, we were talking about working capital, like, you know, what all you do is take you know two months of expenses and there's your working capital. I'm like, I mean, and this is coming from you know a fairly sophisticated you know operation. I'm like, really? That's how you calculate working capital? And he's like, well, yeah. How do you do it? And I'm and I'm with I'm with you, Adam. I'm I'm like, no, this is. I mean, we gotta we gotta be more definitive and and be in it, be able to you know have some sensitivity you know criteria on what's gonna happen. He's, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. Why, why would you do that? <laughs> Good night. Yeah. So anyway, um, so what are, what are some of the metrics and ratios that, that you're, that you're following? And, and because we're geeking out a little bit, what, what's, uh, what's your, your number one and number two metrics that we need to pay attention to? Yeah, I I guess, again, for me, since I'm usually working on the buyer side and they're trying to figure out what they, you know, what what they can cash flow, what they think they can get Mm -hmm. approved for uh, from a lender's perspective, it's usually that that debt service coverage ratio. Um, And so, you know, that can that can do a lot to kind of facilitate, uh, you know, how much can I borrow, which kind of feeds into how much can I pay for the business? Right. So. I'd say okay. that's the that's the number one thing. Uh and then beyond that, you know, usually when I'm like reviewing a set of projections um for somebody that, you know, they've done it on their own and then I'm just they want to send it to me to give it a sniff test, you know, I'm just looking at the at the bottom line really and saying, you know, you're saying you're in the coffee shop business and and your profit margin is 43%, like, you know, uh, there is projected to be 43%. Like Starbucks is at, you know, I don't know. Starbucks is the best operator in the world and they're at 
whatever they're eighteen percent. You know? yeah. So how are you gonna how are you gonna do that? So I that's usually where I can, where I look to point out problems. I, <laughs> and uh, I, I I get it. as far as from a sniff test goes, I I I get you. Um, so when you when we're when we're looking at um you know at at doing a projection i I was telling you this before you know when we were just getting before we hit record and i and I want to revisit it of quality of earnings so when you're basing your projections you know i i i I'm just curious to know because you know if you if you put if you have bad information going in you're gonna have bad forecasts coming out so so tell me a little bit more about how you you know the sniff test. Excuse me, the sniff test that you're doing before, you know, you, you start down the path of trying to foresee the future. Yeah, and again, a, a lot of it is just, you know, usually what people are asking us for is not to determine the quality of <laughs> earnings. Right, we're not really we're not doing that. So we are taking what they what they give us, but, um, mm-hmm. but, yeah, I mean, I think. I always, you know, in lending, I would always say like, I want to, I want to look at what the tax return says, mm-hmm. not what the internal financials say yeah. at the very least. <laughs> um, yeah. Cause that's, that's what the owner's been, what the seller's been paying taxes on. And so they've, uh, if, if, if they lied on that, <laughs> there's, no, there's some, there's right. some problems there. So. Yeah. No, um, we do the same thing. That's along those same lines. We, we, we have the, you know, I, I'm always, if I have to pick and choose, I'm going with your tax return. You know? Yeah. Um, and so is every lender. Um, but from growth, let's talk growth. Cause I mean, that's, that's ultimately what's driving the, at least the valuation from a, from a forecast. So business valuations based on earnings growth and expectation or earnings growth and risk. Um, so where are you coming up with growth when you're doing that? I mean, is that just interviewing with the, with the, the buyer or are you, you know, going into Ivis world and looking at the industry? I'm, where, where's that data coming from for you? Yeah. I mean, usually it, it is going to be an interview with the buyer um, and saying, you know, I can take your historical numbers that you mm-hmm. provide and say, this is what it's been growing at. but. Uh, you know, usually the buyer seems to have an opinion about like, no, no, no we're going to, you know, I, we're going to grow 25% <laughs> you know, or what. Yeah. Um, and, and so that's usually where that's coming from. Uh, it, in the later years, a lot of times what I'll suggest is like, you have some specific plans that you want to make changes year one. And you mm-hmm. think this is going to result in growth. So year one growth rate, we yeah. might apply your, 25 or whatever it is you want after that, then I'm going to yeah go to Ibis world or look for what's the industry just growing at generically and try to get it so that by years, if we do a five-year projection usually, so by year three, four, and five, like hopefully we're just, we're not assuming you're yeah. going to grow at 25% forever. So, well, I am, um, like I said, especially when we do buy side work and, and the buyers coming along, um, and yeah, you know, and they have those aggressive ideas to me, 
you know, I it it causes me to pause because I think I I think from a I think it overstates the value. You know, when you start layering, you know, like you said, you've got twenty five percent growth, and you do any kind of income, you know, business, let's just talk business value for a minute. You start doing, you know, a discount of future earnings, you know, and that that first year is a big one, and then year five is also a big determining factor for the terminal value. Right. So I, I sit there and I'm like, and, and I, I always try to steer clear from the income approach. I just, I, I just, it, you know, I, I, for me, I do, you know, okay, you're going to, we're going to grow with inflation. That's the most, cons- if I'm on the sell side, that's the most conservative way to go. And, and let's, let's evaluate risk and, you know, you know, let's look at a, a normal holding period and a normal exit multiple. And that probably, you know, that, that should get the job done. But, but I, but from a buy side, entirely different conversation because, um, you know, on the sell side, you've got an entire pool of buyers when you're doing valuation. All right. This is, you know, you've got different buyers that have different levels of risk and all those buyers are going to have a different perception of value given all things being equal um on when you have an individual buyer and you say look you know i i need this is my hurdle rate you know this is the num this is what i'm willing to pay you know let's let's start talking about a, building out a, a a model that that makes this thing make sense so that's that's kind of where i was heading with it with with um you know, you're like from me for pre-sale versus a post-sale projection. I mean, how close are you? Because I, I, I often wonder when I, you know, down the road, you know, a lot, most people aren't pissed at me. You know, they normally, you know, we normally have a pretty good, um, you know, uh, track record with as far as, you know, the, the value guidance that we provide. But, but I, I but I've often wondered how close we were to the projections, you know, down the road. How do you, you, you track that or do you have any idea? Yeah. I, you know, I don't, <laughs> like I don't me. really know. You I, like you me. know, it, it's like, um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think a lot of good, good writer and different, I mean, you know, it's just, I think most people, what I found when they're asking for projections, it's really, it's for the, it's for the lender. Like they, they don't, they don't want to look at it again. You know, it's like they do it for this no, exercise. Yeah. And it's like, that's funny. Yeah. So it's like, I, you know, I don't think they're, I don't know. I, I, I think no, that's I, why, why we've realized it was like, it was hard to get people, even if you should, you know, set us projections, look at them every month, see how you're doing compared to projections. That was like the original idea of the business and that monthly recurring fee, but nobody wanted that. <laughs> they just wanted it for the point in time. Interesting. So do you, so where I'm, I meant to ask you, where do you get your business? Where, where is it coming from? I'm, because, yeah. I mean, you're, you're a well-known guy in, in this community. So I'm where, it, I mean, you're a good practitioner where, but where, where's most of the business come from? Yeah. It's mostly uh Google organic search and YouTube search. Really? So interesting. Have you, have you yeah. thought about like Upwork and, and posting there? Are you, are you familiar with that? I've, yeah. Yeah. I've tried, I've tried that a bit. Um, you know, there's, you know, there's 
competition there. Like it's like I let the Sorry. let the business come to us when the buyers are ready. Like we so we don't do much in terms of you know having to sell somebody. It's like yeah. they come to the site, they read what we have, they watch a video on how our template works, and they make a purchase decision. And nice. um, and then if they need help customizing or filling it out, that's where we're doing our. I got it. Consulting work. So what's the most popular template? So from a dollar perspective, uh, our acquisition template is actually our highest revenue generating, but it is industry agnostic. So it kind of yeah, works for any any industry. But uh, if you look at just, we have about a hundred different industry specific right, templates. Right. That's and I mean. those, are, those are more for, you know, tend to be more for startups where you're okay. kind of, you don't have historical financials and you're just like, yeah. I've got, I've got a trucking business. How many trucks have I got on the road? Yeah. How many, what's my rate per mile? Um, so building those base level assumptions. Sorry. I think our most popular, like in terms of just raw numbers of templates sold is our trucking template actually. Really? Cause every like owner operator nice. that wants a loan for a truck, the bank's asking that for projections and so there, there's just a so lot, a lot of those. <laughs> no, that's awesome. Um, yeah, I was just, I was curious to know, you know, whether, you know, did, was there something that, uh, you know, you, you saw, you saw a lot of, and I was just curious to know whether or not did it tie to, you know, the, the number of businesses that are, are being sold or the composition of the businesses that are being sold that, you know, you, you're, you're, you're positively correlated to biz by sales insight report on mm. what company, what types of companies are being sold. So, yeah. All right. Um, so, so put your forecast hat on and so what tools and resources should, should buyers be, be utilizing or considering in order to, to either use you or build their own forecast? What, what should they be? Is there a, here, here's everything in my toolbox that I, I always, or would, I would say you, you at least need to explore. Yeah. So one of the, th if there's any like physical retail, you know, physical location aspect to the, to the business, um, I use a tool uh, called Advan Research, uh, which is a mm. foot traffic tool. There's a couple other ones out there too that seem pretty good, but you can, you know, put in an address for, you know, the location you're buying, really? or you can put an address of a competitor and it gives you an estimate of, of foot traffic. You know, you've probably like accepted some terms and service on your phone. So they're, yeah. <laughs> they're, that, they're that's so they can track you and put you in a foot traffic report. <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, but, um, but I found those to be pretty, pretty useful. Interesting. Um, like I was mentioning a, a, a gas station um, uh, guy owned a, a plot of land was going to build a gas station on it. Mm -hmm. Well, I could find a foot traffic report for the gas station across, like across the interstate right. on the other side. And you could even see how many people came to the gas station property, but also who, like how many went into the convenience store. Really? Um, so you could, that, you could get some estimates on I was gonna say, convenience store a, sales and gas sales. Yeah. No, that's a, that's a hero comment. I mean, you could really help somebody 
like avoid or 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 make a great decision based on that kind of information. All right, so so Advan. All right, what uh, what what else is in in the secret toolbox? No, that you can share. I'm, yeah, I'm yeah, sure yeah. You've got. Yeah, and so those are physical. Uh-huh. I like that for the physical businesses for things that are more website, you know, driven or, uh, I often use, um, a hrefs, oh, uh, sure. uh, which yeah, is, for, for uh, web. yeah. So I can, you know, put in any website in there and, um, get a, an idea of how much organic foot or not foot traffic, organic yeah, no, website I, traffic they're getting to their, yeah. their site. And so what I like to do, with both of those is it's the, it's the sniff test of, okay, if I think I need, you know, uh, I need to have a thousand unit sales a month. And I think, you know, I'm an e-commerce and I think my conversion rate is going to be best, you know, at 3%, I can kind of back into how much traffic I'm going to need. So then I could look at some competitors or look at, you know, look at the, website I'm considering buying and say, okay, am I close to what, what kind of traffic are we, if I, if I need to, if my best competitor has less traffic than that, boy, how am I going to make this work? (laughs) Interesting. Uh, Yeah. So I'll tell you one of the, one of the things that I, that I think is a totally underutilized resource that, that, that I, in 20, after the pandemic, I mean, is, is your public library or, you know, I do some, I do some teaching at Butler and you, you probably knew that, but I'm telling you what the access to some tools and periodicals and some industry research that otherwise would be pretty cost prohibitive. I mean, if you're in, in a particular space, it's one thing, but when you, you know, in our practice, I mean, we've, we've got different silos, you know, but ge- generally speaking, we're a generalist. So being able to bob and weave and and pick pick things up from you know different industries, um, you know we go like I said we we go through the the public library and mm. and and especially you know where I live, um, you know the whether it be the Indianapolis Public Library or the Carmel Library, I mean those are some robust operations. So yeah, so I I think I would add those to to the short list. Of, yeah, that's a good idea. Of, yeah. Um, all right. I wanted to talk to you about an article you, you recently authored or a post that you put on LinkedIn about, about the future of business sales. You want to talk a a little bit about what, what prompted you, you a projection guy to start writing about business sales? Yeah. So I was, um, you know, I, been hearing on you know LinkedIn and Twitter about everyone talking about you know the silver tsunami and all these people that are going to be retiring and sell sell their business and um, so I was just curious I had seen some reports from like Biz Buy Sell um, about the number of businesses sold on their on their platform and I and then I had also I read uh, uh, there was a report done by Live Oak Bank that they had surveyed a bunch of businesses and, you know, estimated, I think it was in the like 2.2 million businesses that they thought wanted to transition in the next five years. So I just did some math. If you just divided 2.2 million by 60 months, it was like 38,000 businesses that needed to be sold every, uh, you know, or transition every month. 
Um, and so I was trying to find a source and maybe, you know, of a source, but I was trying to find a source, like how, how many businesses sell from all, all sources in a given month. Um, I, I looked at biz by sell and I looked at, um, the SBA loan data, uh, to see how many businesses were sold with an SBA loan. And it was like 7,500 a year. I mean, it's not very much. Right. So the the total between those two and the sources I found was like maybe 20,000, 20,000 a year. Yeah. And you need to be at 38,000 a month pace. <laughs> so, so that just kind of brought me to this, like, I, there's, there's, what am I missing? <laughs> or, no, yeah, you're, 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 you're right. Um, so, and this, and to begin with, so one thing I, I don't want to dog on, on biz by sell, but I, I will, I, I mean, <laughs> you know, they, yeah, they list, you know, uh, between 50 and 60,000 businesses a year. Okay. And if you pay attention to the insight reports, I mean, they only sell about 10,000. So, I mean, you can see, you know, the dismal, the dismal return. And that's what, you know, why, I, why I'm, you know, working on launching, you know, biz sale by owner, you know, the, the self-directed business sale platform, because I think a lot of people just, they need more because all those, all those 60,000 businesses aren't represented. You know, they, somebody needs to come alongside like, like you on the buy side, this is how you do forecasts. Now, let me show you, let me help you. And I think that, that there's a lot of mis you know, value guidance challenges and different things like that. But to answer your question, so I did, I did some analysis too, and I'll send this to you that, you know, there's 12, 12 million business owners that are, there are businesses that are owned by baby boomers. All right. 78% intend to fund their retirement. All right. 60 to a hundred percent of their retirement. All right. And it's 18 years. All right. 18 years is the average retirement. And you, you don't have to write it down because I'm going to get, yeah, get oh, this. Oh, this is great stuff. I'm writing it down. <laughs> so, so eight, Eight, and I'll give you the, I'll, I'll cite you the sources, but 8 million will go to market. All right. I'd, if you'd use the 20% success or sell ratio, that's 1.6 million businesses will sell. All right. 1.1 will simply close the doors. And then 5.3 are, are hanging out there. All right. And they may not sell. And, and, here is the value or the the reasons and and again i'm and you know for those of you listening i mean this is a i'm mixing and matching some data but it's the best data that we have all right so, so 10% you know just weird things happen in deals that's why it won't close 10% there's no market 11% it's because of lack of capital another 11% is insufficient cash flow 12% Fail because of economic uncertainty, 20% because of unreasonable demands, and 26% is value gap. That's kind of the donut of why the 5.3 million won't sell. And so, and then out of those 12 million, again, we've got 4 million that will attempt to transfer to, to family members. Um, so that's the data. And I, I, like I said, I, I haven't cited... Um, the, the information I just quoted was from, um, 
uh, Pepperdine Private Capital Markets Survey. Um, so I will, I, but I will get that to you. Yeah, um, that's great. Well, you know, but but to to for our conversation, you know, I, I guess I'm curious to to know. I mean, you've been in banking, you've been in accounting, and now you're you're doing projections. I mean, where do you see this thing going? Yeah, I mean, my my uh, thought in that post and what I've kind of been trying to think through is that it seems like there's an opportunity for on the on the buyer side to, um, you know, be more creative and, mm-hmm. you know, and, and like, because there's going to be a lot of, a lot of supply, there should be a lot of supply in businesses that would be interested in selling. And so I guess I've been thinking, and I did a little, um, looking at, uh, Google, I, I like to look at Google search trends yeah. and, um, I noticed like seller note, uh, it doesn't have a ton of volume, but it's, it's, it's going it's up. There. It's, it's going up. So I'm like, I, you know, is that, is that end up what happens? You know, people try to sell it, they can't, then eventually they're like, oh, okay, I'll just do a seller note for a big chunk of this. Well, it, it's funny you say that. So, so, uh, the other side is that the seller note is bridging the gap is is serving as almost the mes debt for for the deal so you when you've got 11 or 12% cost of capital on SBA loans you've got to have some means you know if if you want your value you know you're going to have you know there's only so much borrowing power so let's put that that note either a self canceling note or some some something that that <laughs> might might get that business owner to to a premium, um, but I, I'm with you. There, the the creative the creative side of deals. I think it's even going to get even more creative. I think there's a lot, especially with you know, like like I said, I, I do some teaching at Butler, and and I mean, there's a lot of kids that want to sidestep getting jobs and go right into to owning a business, which is you know, you know. You know, I have two daughters. Um, one's twenty-one and one's eighteen, and I'm I'm sitting there going, "Could I see my twenty-two-year-old saying, Dad, you know, I'm I'm gonna go run a business?'" I'm like, "How? You know that from a from a deal guy? Yeah, heck yeah, let's go do that." From <laughs> a from a you know, chances are the sponsor of the acquisition. I'm like, Ooh, that might that might be a little rough. Um, yeah, but I but at the same time. A lot of these kids are sitting here saying, you know what? This business doesn't have a website. Imagine what I can do layering some tech on top of it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I have, I have a question along these lines I'm curious your take on. So mm-hmm. I've been, as I've been researching this, it seems like that the vast majority of, uh, like on Biz by Sell, I think it was like 84% of the businesses sold were for less than, for a million dollars or less. Mm-hmm. Um, and and as I've been kind of thinking through the the math on selling a really small business, it's it's tough to probably make the math work a lot of times. Which maybe that's part of your uh, for sale by or you know business yeah. sale by owner uh-huh. is because it's hard to hard to afford a brokerage yeah. fee or whatever it is for a two hundred thousand dollar business. It, yeah, a hundred percent. That that. As I mean, there's there's a number of different reasons why somebody wants to do a self-directed sale, and the and the you know one is economic, two is 
ego. Like, screw that. I've been selling, yeah. I've been selling, I could sell this thing all day long. And yeah. they might be able to do it. Um, but at the same time, um, I think that there is a lot of people that, um, especially on the small side, you know, there's a family associated with that that business. And there may be only one employee and that employee has a family and the, and somebody, the risk associated with closing down. I just like, you know, I've been doing this so long and I, and I, and I, I guess I'm, I'm to the point of, I want to contribute to the industry that there needs to be some marketplace somehow, some way that can facilitate the self-perpetuation of entrepreneurship. And that guy with the two, you know, the $200,000 business is just as important as the 20 million, you know, and where you're going to have a cadre of, of advisors encircling that, that business owner. I just want the, you know, I want the, the same, I don't say the same attention, but the same access to, to best in class advice Yeah, at the, at the small level. Um, but but yeah, I I think it's gonna be a I, I think it's gonna it's gonna be a slog to 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 turn the deal making uh, industry that way. You know, I I I just don't I don't want to see small businesses evaporate. Um, yeah, but again, yeah. that's all right. I I I need I need something to worry about. So I'm, gonna, <laughs> so I'm gonna, I'll I'll keep doing it. Um. So my last question is, you know, I, I asked this of every one of our, of our guests or my guests that, you know, if you had one piece of advice that you could give them that would have, you know, the greatest impact on value or sellability, what would it be? Hmm. Yeah. I, you know, I feel like I'm coming at this from, I've, I've not sold uh, okay. a business myself. So, you know, you know, but I, I think, um, from, from the perspective that I'm seeing, uh, you know, I think that we see a lot of very, of the small business owners, you know, they're just trying to, um, not pay a lot of taxes. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. I'm trying to, and I see that a lot, saw that a lot at bankable too, where it was like, someone was, trying to get a loan the buyer's trying to get a loan and they say well here's what the seller's tax return said but we think actually it does better than this and it's like yeah sure it does (laughs) that's like tough we can't you know what what can we do with that so i think um i think that's the you know i i feel that i feel the tax side is the business owner it's like huh okay what expenses could i cram in here and then you know uh, in the last 15 days of the month of the year, you know, and reduce my taxes. But if I ever want to sell the thing, I'm shooting myself yeah. in the foot. So, so trans transparency and, and clarity of taxes, Yeah, pay your taxes and you're going to reap the reward on the back end. Right. Yeah. I get it. So, so my friend, where, where can people find you? Yep. So our website is projectionhub.com, and I'm, yeah, I've been posting more on LinkedIn lately, trying to trying to diversify a little bit away from all of our eggs in the Google and YouTube uh, <laughs> basket. So, um, yeah. Well, I will I will have access or I will have everything um, 
connected to the show notes so so people can find you. So Great. you know what? I I'm sorry it's taken us this long to reconnect, but uh, I sure have enjoyed our time together. Yeah. Thanks, Ed. All right. This was another episode of the Defenders of Business Value Podcast. For more episodes packed with strategies to increase the value of your business, visit DefendersOfBusinessValue.com for show notes, transcripts, and free tools to start you on your journey. Subscribe now so you don't miss any future episodes.